Amen. Let's take our Bibles to Psalm chapter 56. Stay standing with me if you would. We're going to read the passage responsively. Psalm chapter 56 here. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. I'll begin in verse 1. We'll begin together in verse 2. And then we'll read together in that pattern down through the end of the chapter. Verse 1 says, Be merciful unto me, O God. For man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Together, verse 2. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up. For they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God will I praise His word. In the Lord will I praise His word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praise unto thee. Let's read 13 together. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? We're looking at our theme this year, A Heart for God, and our series we're looking at at this time is My Walk with God, and we're looking specifically at my progress, how I progress in my walk with God. Last week we looked at our fruit, this week we're going to look at our faith. The title of the sermon this morning is this, An Intense Faith. And intense faith. Let's talk about faith this morning and how that grows as I spend time personally in the presence of God. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us today to tune out all the distractions of life? Lord, to tune in to uh, the Word of God and Lord, to gather from it the nutrients and strength we need uh, to go forth here and do our best to be light in a dark world, salt in a world that needs it. Lord, help us to honor you in all we say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, uh, let's see. Go back with me to Psalm 56 and look with me at verse number 4. Psalm 56, look at verse number 4. We're talking about my walk with God. And we've said this all year long. You cannot walk with God unless you're spending time with Him. When you go on a walk with someone, you are making the effort. It is not so much about where you walk. Rather, it's who you walk with. Not where you go but who accompanies with you on the journey. And so as we go through life, where we go is less important than spending time fellowshipping with God. And remember that God made Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden. And the highlight of the day for Adam and Eve and for the Lord was when they would walk together 
and fellowship with each other in the cool of the day there in the garden. And so we are made to walk with God. And that is the premise this year. We are made to walk with God. Life is busy and, and life is uh, hectic and, 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 the, and the schedule and the clock demands so much of us and technology is given to us and instead of giving us uh, uh, more time, we just fill that time with more things and we get down to the end of the day and we've not thoroughly walked with God as we should. So the challenge this year is that to have a heart with God, we are to walk with Him, spend time with Him. Look at what the psalmist David said in Psalm 56. Look at verse 4. David says, in God, let's read that next phrase together. Can we do that? Here we go. I will praise His Word. Read it like you mean it. Now here we go. I will praise His Word. In God, next phrase together, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Look down at verse 10. Psalm 56 Look at verse 10. He says there, read the verse with me, the entire verse. Here we go. Here we go. In God will I praise His Word. In the Lord will I praise His Word. You get the idea here that David is in love with the words of God. He is in love with the presence of God. And because David has walked with God, we'll see through this chapter, his faith in God is intense. He has an intense faith that God will come through for him. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this. It says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and if you know the rest of the verse, finish with me, and hearing by the word of God. You see, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. As I listen to God's word, as I absorb God's word into my heart, what happens is that my faith in God begins to grow. And so uh, you are to have a faith that is strong. I have met many people who tell me, Pastor, my faith is weak. My faith is weak. I just don't feel that I have much faith. And to that I would say, everyone operates by faith. Everyone operates by faith. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, let me encourage you to write this down. There are two types of faith in the world. Two types of faith. The first type of faith we'll call natural faith. Two types of faith. The first type of faith is natural faith. Everyone has natural faith. Everyone has natural faith. You say, not me, I'm a skeptic about everything. And I would say, everything? Everything? Everyone has natural faith. All of us assume a lot of things and take a lot of things for granted. Let me give you some examples, all right? Let's say you're not feeling good. And uh, your sickness goes on for quite some time. And you decide it's time to go see the doctor, right? Your spouse has bothered you enough and convinced you to set up a doctor's appointment. And you get in the car and you go to the doctor's office, all right? And so you get there and the doctor, he does all kinds of tests and he examines you. He makes you stick your tongue out and go, ah. He, he checks your heart rate. He looks in your ear. Uh, he, he puts the stethoscope on your back. He makes you take deep breaths, all those things. And then after a few minutes, the doctor declares that you have a respiratory infection. Now, you go, okay, well, that makes sense. That seems to match up with what I would see a respiratory infection as. And the doctor says, I tell you what, I'm going to write you up a prescription. I want you to go to the pharmacy and get this filled and take that, and you should be all better in just a matter of time. I'm going to ask you a question. Did you go with that doctor to class? Were you there when he got his doctorate degree? How do you know that he is actually a medical doctor? Well, the Internet says he is. Well, is everything on the Internet true? 
All right? I read a quote one time that says, you can't believe everything you see on the Internet. And it was ascribed to Abraham Lincoln. Okay? All right? You cannot, and I saw that on the Internet. All right? You cannot believe everything you see on the Internet. And you know what? Do you know for sure that that doctor has a real doctor's diploma? You say, well, I, I, no, you don't. You know what? You have in a little bit of faith that, that all, everything seems by your perception to check out. And so he writes you up a prescription and you take that to the pharmacy and you walk in the pharmacy and you get that uh, prescription filled and they take and put the bottles in a little capsule and they hand that to you. Let me ask you a question. Were you in the factory that made those pills? You weren't, were you? Do you know for sure that the technician that works in the pharmacy even put the right medicine in that capsule? What if they were distracted and put the wrong... You just take out of that capsule and you put in your mouth and by faith you swallow that pill, hoping, assuming by faith that you're taking the right thing. Don't tell me you don't operate by faith. How many here enjoy eating a bowl of cereal? Raise your hand if you enjoy cereal. How many enjoy cereal better at night than you do in the morning? Amen. Cereal is better at night. Can I get a witness? Amen. I love cereal at nighttime. All right. Might be part of the reason why, you know, I need to lose a couple of pounds. All right. Um, cereal at night is great. And uh, you know what? I was not there when they put the cereal together that was in that box. I am assuming when I pour the cereal into that box, in that bowl, and I take that milk and I add it to it, did you know some people eat cereal with orange juice? Can you believe that? Listen, that should be a crime against humanity. Amen? But when you put the milk into that cereal and you, you spoon that into your mouth, you weren't there to see any of the process. You say, well, the FDA. And I'd say you have an immense amount of faith if you trust the FDA. All of you got here somehow today, right? You got in a car? Were you there when that car was made? Nope. Okay. You say, well, I drove to church and my car's been dependable for quite some time. And, and so uh, the first time you got in that car, you just assumed that it was built right. You assumed it passed some kind of quality control. By faith, you operated that car. And you know what? You got in your car and you drove to church and guess what? You don't know any of the people you passed on the road. None of them. If you did, you probably wouldn't have driven to church. All right? You had faith that they weren't going to come across that double yellow line and hit you. Don't tell me you don't have faith. You say, well, I didn't drive to church today. Then you really have a lot of faith. <laughs> all right? We all have faith. Someone says, well, I'm weak in faith. I'd say, no, you're not. Natural faith. Now, there are two types of faith in the world. There's natural faith, and write this one down. There is spiritual faith. Spiritual faith. When someone says, my faith is weak, what they really mean is that my spiritual faith is weak. See, your faith in the systems and processes of this world, your faith in man is not weak, but your faith in God is indeed weak. See, spiritual faith comes when I trust God's Word to be true and that He will keep His promises. In order to have spiritual faith, you must be spiritually born. Natural faith comes from natural birth, while spiritual faith comes from a spiritual birth. God gives everyone just enough 
faith to get saved. And let me just make this very clear. God's will is for everyone, everyone to be saved. Second Peter says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all, all should come to repentance. When Jesus died on the cross, He didn't just die for a select handful. Uh, he died for everyone. In fact, uh, God is so willing that all come to repentance. Uh, the Bible is very clear on this. And, and by the way, uh, when we look at this, we understand Romans 1 teaches that He gives everyone two ways to find their way to Him. He gives them creation. Uh, the Bible talks about that they see uh, the creation. They know that there is a God. Psalm 19 says that heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth His handiwork. And that this, uh, this uh, handiwork of God, the creation of God, it permeates every language. It permeates every culture. It, it comes down to where anyone can look up to the sky and see the handiwork of God and say, there is a God who made me and loves me. But not only does Romans 1 talk about the creation, it talks about conscience. It says, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful. Romans 1 verse 19 goes on to talk about how that those who end up in hell one day will be without excuse. Without excuse. You see, God gives everyone enough faith to find their way to Him for salvation. Those who believe that only the elect make it into heaven and that everyone else is condemned to hell, if that's true, then they never had an avenue to heaven. It would not be possible for the Bible to say that they are without excuse. No, they are without excuse because there was a way and they neglected that way. Once you put faith in God's grace, you are born again into the family of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says that as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. John 3 talks about being born again. And uh, verse 16 goes on to say that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Once you are spiritually born, you are given access to an even greater volume of faith so that you can trust God with more and more of your life. Now watch this. Everyone has enough spiritual faith to find their way to salvation, but spiritual faith and trusting God only comes from a born-again experience where you believe in Christ alone to be your Savior. Here is the essence of Christianity. Please listen up to me this morning. You're born under a condemnation, a curse. You're born under a sin curse. Uh, Romans 3 tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. None righteous. You say, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. The Bible says that you're not a good person. I don't want to hurt your feelings this morning. I don't want to be unkind. Romans 3.23 says all have sin. The Bible says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel 18.20, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Uh, Romans 6 says uh, the wages of sin is death. Death. And as a result of your sin, you deserve death. Separation. Revelation 21.8 says all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. This is the death of of one's soul. Uh, being good does not get us to heaven. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3, 5 continues with the same thought. It says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He hath saved us. Uh, we are not saved by being a good person. We are not saved uh, through some act uh, of, 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 of good works. We are not saved by some religion. No, we are saved by faith 
in God's grace. And what you need to understand is that Jesus left heaven. He came. He died on the cross for you. He became your sin. He became your sin debt so that you can become His riches. The Bible says in Romans 8 that we receive the spirit of adoption and whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And my friend, if you've not yet today put your faith in Christ alone, all you need to do is take that little mustard seed of faith that you were given at birth through conscience and creation and you turn to God and you call out to Him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve death and hell. You died on the cross for me. My faith is in you and in you alone. And if you do that, my friend, the Bible says you will become a child of God. Spiritual faith. But once you make that decision and you call on God's name, you are given a gift of immense faith that grows the more you spend time walking with God. Now, uh, can you give me just a little more volume on my uh, lapel here? I appreciate that. Each day you come to the same fork in the road multiple times. Those of you that are saved, I want you to listen to me right now. Each day, each of us come to a fork in the road multiple times. Multiple times. Here's the fork in the road. Will I trust my own logic and what's sensible to me? Will I walk by earthly wisdom and my own perception? Or will I walk by heaven's wisdom and God's perfection? Will I walk by earthly wisdom and my own perception of facts? Or will I walk by God's wisdom, heavenly wisdom, and God's perfection? Each day, you come to that fork in the road multiple times. Multiple times. Let me give you a couple examples that we all face. You ever go through a drive-thru and they take a long time to get you your food? Earthly wisdom is honk your horn. Tap your foot. Call the person in front of you ugly names. I hate getting behind minivans in the drive-thru. You know what I mean? they got like 18 people back there. And uh, then they have like four separate orders, right? And you're like, i got to go! Come on! And then, you know, they, they cut you off to get in line. You know what I mean? How many of you are impatient like me? Or be honest. How many of you are sitting next to someone that should have just raised their hand right now? Okay? All right, okay. You know what I mean? Okay? Earthly wisdom is, you know, maybe cuss them out. Some of you don't cuss. I don't cuss. So you call them a bunch of nasty names. Right? Christian cussing, right? Okay, we have our curse words, but, you know, like idiot and moron, and those aren't on the list, cursing lists, and so we throw those out freely. Be careful, by the way. Jesus said not to call someone a fool, all right? You've got to be careful about that kind of stuff, all right? Uh, uh, you're going along at work, and you've been given a project to work on with a business partner, and you're having to carry the team because they're not doing their part. Earthly wisdom wants to get upset, Right? Heaven's wisdom is uh, maybe a little bit different in the way you handle that. Hey, let me get real personal. Your mom and dad have a double standard, kids. You see that they're, you know, telling you one thing and doing something else. Earthly wisdom is to hyper-focus on the double standard. Hyper-focus on that. Use that as an excuse for your own poor behavior. Heaven's wisdom is to show them grace because you want them to show you grace. Because you're not perfect either. Alright? Hey, here's another one. Okay? So you married people. Your spouse is uh, not very loving or respectful your direction. 
So you, what do you want to do? You want to give them the passive-aggressive cold shoulder, right? We're slamming doors, right? We're not talking to one another. We're cutting them off. Maybe we're taking the aggressive approach and we're losing our temper and we're yelling and screaming in the face. We're ghosting text threads. That's earthly wisdom. We're not walking by faith. You see, a man or woman who walks with God does not behave in this way. The men and women of the Bible who walked with God are seen as having a strong faith. Let me say that again. I, I think that went over most of your heads. I want to make the connection here in the introduction. Listen to me. The men and, God, men and women of the Bible who are seen as the heroes. The men and women of the Bible who walk with God. One marker of all of them is they had an immensely strong faith in God when times got tough. That's not an accident. You see, here's the point I want to make in my introduction. As I walk with God thoroughly... My faith in God increases immensely. The closer I am to God through God's Word and prayer, the easier it is for me to trust Him when times get tough and not lean on my own understanding. If I don't walk with God, I'm not going to trust God when things get tough. If my walk with God is real and intense and daily, then when times get tough, I'm going to have no problem trusting God. Let me put this quote up on the screen. Write this down if you have a spot to do that. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Now, the first time I saw this quote was a handful of years ago. J. Oswald Sanders. The first time I saw this quote was a handful of years ago. And i got to be honest, I had to sit and read and reread and reread before I really understood what this meant. All right? Let me give you a couple of examples of what this means. Faith enables the believing soul, all right, to treat the future as right now and what I can't see as seen, all right? I want you to imagine with me that you are living in the time of Noah, all right? God comes to Noah and he says, Noah, I want you to build a giant ark. He says, what's an ark? He says, it's a boat, an enclosed boat. All right, God, why do you, you want me to go to the water and do that? No, I want you to build that in your backyard. Okay, God, why do you want me to build a gigantic ark of gopher wood pitched inside and out in my backyard? God says, because it's going to rain. And before the flood, there was no rain, according to the Bible. So Noah looks at God and says, what is rain? Water is going to fall out of the sky and come up from the depths, and I'm going to cover every mountaintop, and I want you to build a boat to protect those who get inside. You know what faith does? Faith says, all right, I'm going to build the boat as though I'm certain this is going to happen, and even though I've never seen rain, I'm going to trust you that the invisible will be seen. How many of you would have enough faith to go in your backyard in the face of all the mockery for 120 years that he faced and build that boat? Let me give you another example here. All right? Brother Vara raised his hand. You just like to build things, Brother Vara. That's not fair, okay? All right, you'd have done it just because, all right? I know, you have strong faith. I'm just teasing you. 
Here's another example. All right? Nebuchadnezzar, he calls together uh, all of uh, the Babylonian uh, uh, leaders and he brings them into a courtyard where a, a statue, a several stories tall of gold has been constructed of himself, Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, okay, leaders of, Israel, of, of Babylon, when you hear the music play, I want you to bow. And if you don't bow, I'm going to throw you in that fiery furnace over there. Now, if you've got to threaten people with fire to get them to worship you, that's pretty lousy worship, isn't it? But the music plays, and guess what? The three Hebrew boys stay standing. They didn't bow. And uh, can you imagine that? A sea of thousands of people down on their face bowing before this, um, this giant statue. And three boys just looking around like, you bunch of cowards. And so the guards take the three boys before Nebuchadnezzar and says, maybe you didn't hear me. When the music plays, bow. And they said, hey, king, we're not even going to be careful answering you in this matter. They said, listen, we serve a living God who is able to deliver us from the fire. Even if he chooses not to deliver us from the fire, which he's able to do, we ain't going to bow. So, you know, whatever. That's the Christian version. And the king got really angry and he said, turn the fire up ten times hotter. And they picked up the three Hebrew boys and they threw them in the fire. You know what those three Hebrew boys did? They had enough faith in God because they had walked with God. They had enough faith in God to believe that the future would be present, God would protect them, and the invisible would be seen. You know, Nebuchadnezzar went up on a perch to see them fry, and when he looked in, he says, the book of Daniel teaches this, it says that he said, hey, come over here. How many people are in there? And uh, the advisor said, well, it looks like it's four. He said, yeah, there's four. And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. They had enough faith to see the invisible. How strong is your faith? You say, my faith is weak. That's because your walk with God is weak. A strong faith, a strong walk brings about strong faith in God. Now, here's what I want you to get. Listen up. You cannot trust someone you do not intimately know. You can't. You can't trust someone you do not intimately know. I've been married for 15 years. My wife trusts me a whole lot more now than she did the day we got married. A whole lot more. And she trusted me when we got married. You know what? She trusted me more the day we got married than the day we met. Because the more we know each other, the more we trust each other. Some of you do not trust God because you do not intimately know Him. You know of Him. You know about Him. You know all the stories of the Bible because you grew up going to Sunday school. You know all about things. You know what? I know of Michael Jordan, but I don't know Michael Jordan. I know I was a big fan in the 90s. I know all about his stats. I know all about his championships. But if I were to meet Michael Jordan, we know nothing of each other intimately. And some of you are just like that. You know about God, but you've spent very little time reading your own Bible and studying it. You spend very little time in prayer, and you say, my faith is weak. And I would say, your faith is weak because your walk is weak. You cannot trust someone you do not intimately know. You cannot intimately know someone with whom you do not spend time. Sometimes God brings great difficulty into our lives to get our attention so that we walk with Him. 
Such was the case for young David in Psalm 56. Let's look at three truths out of the life of David as we provide historical context to Psalm 56 as we consider this thought, my walk with God, we're looking at my progress and the title of our sermon this morning, and intense faith. Let me encourage you to go ahead and turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 20 and put a marker in there because we're going to be dancing back and forth, going back and forth between Psalm 56 and 1 Samuel chapter number 20 and 21. Um, let's jump into the outline this morning. Notice number one, life's drama. Life's drama. Once you get settled there in 1 Samuel 20, look back at Psalm 56 and look at verse 1 and 2. Let's let the Bible do the preaching for us this morning. The Bible says, be merciful. David says, be merciful unto me, O God. Hold on. Let me back up. Before we read verse 1, there is a heading that is above verse 1 that gives us the historical context of when this was written, all right? Look at the heading there, all right? It says, to the chief musician. Now, I've practiced this name a couple of times, knowing I had to read it in church. Let's see if I can get this right, all right? To the chief musician upon Jonath Elam Rekokim. Did I get that right? I have no idea, but that's my best effort, all right? Um, That's a long name. But look here, we get historical context. Notice there it says, when the Philistines took him in Gath. When the Philistines took him in Gath. Gath is a province in Philistia, the nation of Philistia. And we're going to see when that happened out of 1 Samuel in just a moment. All right? Psalm 56. Now look at verse 1. Okay? It says there, now that we understand he's been taken into captivity in Gath. Verse 1. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O Thou Most High. Life is filled with drama, isn't it? Drama at work. Drama at home. Drama with extended family members. Drama at school. Drama at church. Drama in this relationship. Drama in that relationship. Drama with the neighbor. Drama in your kid's sports league. Some drama is minor, and the spirit of maturity can look past a lot of it, and you can forbear. Other drama greatly hurts our quality of life and can cause great despair. Uh, Sometimes we bring great drama upon our own heads with our own immature behavior, but sometimes things happen that are completely out of our control. Look at Psalm 56, verse 5. We see that David had no control over this drama. Every day they rest my words, or they're offended by my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. Look here. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. What is David talking about? Go back to 1 Samuel 19 and look at verse number 8. 1 Samuel 19, and uh, we're going to read exactly about what David's talking about. They mark his steps. They they gather themselves together. They hide. They're waiting, lurking, trying to do him harm or, or to kill him. Look at 1 Samuel 19, and we're going to read from verse 8 down through verse number 16. The Bible says, And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. Look at verse 9. We see the jealous spirit of King Saul. Uh, take him over again. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul. This is King Saul. As he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. And David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall. 
with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. We see the hiding, the lurking. We see the watching his steps, seeking to slay him. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed, and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster, and covered it with the cloth. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. And Saul sent the messenger again to see David, saying, Bring him unto me in my bed, uh, that uh, in the bed, that I may slay him. And when the messengers were come in, behold, there was an image in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. Wow. Now, David, to this point in the story, has done nothing wrong. Nothing. But Saul's envy was so intense that David felt um, it would cost him his own life. How would David respond? Unfortunately, David is about to respond in the flesh. He would respond through his own logic and emotion, not by faith. Number one, we see life's drama. Number two, let's look at fear's disaster. Fear's disaster. Church, I want you to listen to me. I believe that many of us operate by a spirit of fear. We let fear dictate our decisions and our actions. Now listen, when you let fear drive the car of your life, you will always end up in a ditch. Always. Fear causes us to do things that may be logical, but are not spiritual. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says this, For we walk by faith, not by sight. You know what that means? You're not leaning on your own understanding. You're trusting in God. You're not leaning on what your eyes perceive. We trust what we see and hear way too much. How many of you here have ever watched some sort of a magic show? I assume that's all of us. It's amazing how a magician can have a coin in his hand and make you think it disappeared into thin air just like that. Did it disappear into thin air? No. But boy, they sure can make it look that way. And if we can be deceived so easily over a coin... Do you think that Satan can't use fear to deceive you and get you to make some really poor decisions? You see, we can't let fear make our decisions for us. That brings about great disaster. When fear is the driving force, I'm walking by sight. I'm allowing what my own logic at best and what my emotions at worst Tell me what to do and how to respond, how to maneuver. You see, fear brings about disaster, all right? Now, I preached a sermon on a Sunday evening several months ago entitled uh, something about situational ethics, and some of what I'm pulling out now, I pulled out in that sermon, 
But that was on a Sunday evening, so a much different audience. Some of you, this will be review, but for many of you, this will be fresh material. And it was so good, I felt like it needed to be reviewed, or at best, it needs to be given out. So let me give you uh, some sub-thoughts, uh, some, some sub-points here about the disaster that fear brings. Letter A, notice, when operating by fear, we conspire or scheme. We conspire or scheme. When fear makes your decisions, you'll make a mess out of things just like David. Let's see how David made a mess. Look at 1 Samuel 21. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? So just to pause to give you the context here, David was let down out of the window by his wife. Saul, the king, is trying to kill him. David runs away from King Saul, and he's on the run. He's got a handful of men with him, and uh, he, he runs to the priest's house. And uh, the priest there is doing some things that are uh, uh, ceremonial that a priest would do, and David is now going to lie to the priest about what he's doing. And the priest says to him, Hey David, why are you alone? Why don't you have any other official with you? Look at verse 2. And David said to Ahimelech the priest, Here is the lie. Here's the scheme. The king hath commanded me a business. That is a lie. And hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of his business, uh, of the business whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now, because he lied to the priest about this matter of the business, he set up this priest to later be killed by King Saul just a couple of chapters later. David is afraid. He's operating uh, out of a spirit of fear. We all can understand why. But David is not walking with God at this point in his life. He's not making progress. He's walking by his sight instead of by faith. And because he's not walking with God, he is digressing and he is making a mess of things. You see, when my faith is in God, I don't have to scheme because I know God already has everything under control. But not only do we conspire, let her be noticed, we compromise. We compromise our beliefs. So now David's not only going to lie to the priest... He's going to do something that is against the ceremonial law of, of his country. Look at verse 3. 1 Samuel 21, 3. Now therefore, what is under thine hand? David asks the priest. Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, and, and, and what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread, if the young men have kept themselves at least from women. And David answered the priest and said of them, Of a truth, women have been kept uh, uh, from us these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a common manner, yea, though it were sanctified this day in a vessel. And so the priest gave him the hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the show bread uh, that uh, was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day uh, when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And David said unto Himelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapon with me, because the king's business required haste. He's lying. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slayest in the valley of Elah, behold, it uh, it is 
uh, here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it. For there is none other that, uh, not, there is no other save that here. And David said, there is none like it, like that. Give it me. So David knew that he had no right to the priest's showbread. Now, I know I'm getting out of our culture and a little bit of Israeli culture. Pay attention on purpose for just a moment here, okay? David knew that he was not supposed to eat that bread. That bread was strictly for the Levites. David was not a Levite. But David, in his situational ethics, said, give it to me anyway. Give it to me anyway. Why? He's not trusting God to give him his bread. He's trusting in his own, his own self. He's operating by sight. He's not operating by faith. He's not walking with God. He's walking by his own sight. Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus reminds us, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word uh, that, uh, that uh, proceedeth out of the mouth of God. When I'm walking with God, my faith is in not me to provide for my own daily provisions. My faith is in God. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, the, uh, Jesus taught us to pray, uh, uh, Give us this day our what? Our, say it with me, church, daily bread. We're to ask God to give us our daily bread. Because David was afraid of what man could do unto him. He chose to trust himself to feed his own stomach. Fear, faith, uh, fear is the opposite of faith. Fear causes us to rely on self, our own logic, our own motives, our own heart, other than solely relying on God. So we see uh, we conspire, uh, we compromise, let her see we cower. We cower before men. Look at 1 Samuel 21 and look at verse number 10. So David's afraid of Saul. Verse 10 tells us so. Look at verse 10. And David arose and fled that day. Notice the Bible says there, for fear of Saul. 1 Samuel 21.10. For fear of Saul. And went to Achish, the king of Gath. Gath is a province in Philistia. The Philistines are the enemy of the Israelites. And so the king or governor of Gath is Achish, and he goes into the enemy territory to get away from Saul. Boy, that was a bad choice. Look at 11. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? They did not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David is ten thousands. And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands, and scrabbled on the doors of the gate, and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, ye see, this man is mad. Wherefore then have ye brought him to me? Have I need of mad men, that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So David goes where he shouldn't be. He gets arrested and brought in the king's courtyard. And David knows, hey, listen, I killed Goliath, who is from Gath, and now I am sitting in a court in Gath. They are going to kill me. So what does David do? He starts pretending to be a crazy man. He starts to spit up on his beard. He begins to scrabble at the gate like a crazy man. And the king looks over and says, this guy's lost his mind. Right? Let him go. This is the same David that in chapter 18 killed 200 Philistines and brought the evidence of these Philistines' death and dropped it at Saul's feet so that he could marry the king's daughter. This is the same man that went down in a valley and killed Goliath and now 
because he's walking by sight and not by faith. He is cowering before men. You see, Christian, when you're walking by sight and you're operating out of a spirit of fear, you're going to cower before men. Fear causes us to cower. We operate by fear. I'd recommend you write these down and later, after the message, analyze your own actions and motives and ask myself, do these fears dictate my behavior? Here are the three fears that I see make most people's decision. The fear of rejection. By the way, our missionary last week mentioned some of this. If you did not hear that sermon, ask us. We can get you a copy of that message and, and where you're able to listen to it. Because he was to the Middle East, we've taken it down off of our, uh, uh, our, our uh, YouTube page, but we still have access to it. If you did not hear last Sunday night's message, you missed something special. Um, uh, we want to make sure you, you're able to get your hands on that. But he mentioned some of this. All right, but write these down. The fear of rejection, the fear of failure, and the fear of death. The fear of rejection the fear of failure, and the fear of death. Hey, we care far too much what our fellow man thinks about us and far too little about what God thinks. Far too much. Hey, could you sing a special in church? I ain't getting on that platform. I'd be so nervous. You know what that is? That's fear of man. Hey, could you take a... uh, handful of uh, gospel tracts and invite people to church you meet at the store? You want me to do what? What if they think I'm a religious loon? Hey, let me just give you a little hint. They're going to think you're a religious loon. (laughs) They're going to think you're crazy. But are you trying to please them or are you trying to please him? Yesterday, I was in Bridgeport. I uh, got to sit here with Darwin. I sit in Darwin's uh, kitchen there. And uh, Darwin and Bianelli have been coming to our church for about a month now. And uh, Bianelli got saved a handful of weeks ago. And boy, she's just been making all these changes and growing. And I got to sit with Darwin in his kitchen. And, and uh, Darwin said, man, my wife is really making these changes. What's going on with her? And... Uh, I walked Darwin through the gospel, and Darwin bowed his head and got saved yesterday. Isn't that great? Give Darwin a round of applause. Isn't that great? I came out of Darwin's house there on Center Street in Bridgeport. I went out with Brother Tom. Brother Tom was witnessing to a man there on the corner, so I walked across the street, and a car pulled up. That car was playing uh, rap music pretty loud. And the guy sitting in there looked like someone you would think in Bridgeport that would be playing rap music. And um, had his window cracked about that far. And I thought to myself, what do I do? Let me just say this, state the obvious. I look like I'm out of place when I'm walking around Bridgeport. All right? I don't look like I belong. All right? I'm just stating the obvious. I don't mean anything by it. I'm standing there on the street corner. I'm waiting on Brother, Brother Tom there, and he's going through the gospel with this guy. And so I reached in my pocket, and I took out a gospel track. And I walked over like this to the man in the car. He rolled his window down, and he turned his music down. I said, 
Hey, man, what's your name? He said, my name's BJ. I said, I'm Richard. I'm Richard. I said, I pastor a church in the area. I said, can I give you that? And he reached out and he took it. And um, I began to talk to him about Jesus. He reached over on his passenger seat and he picked up a copy of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And he handed it to me. He said, I'm searching right now for the Lord. He said, uh, I, I don't know what I need to know, but I, I'm, I'm searching. And me and BJ, we talked for about five minutes. And I explained to him who Jesus was and what he had done for him. BJ didn't get saved yesterday. But we exchanged numbers. And BJ very well may come to church here. Pray that he does. Pray that he does. You know what? BJ doesn't look anything like me. BJ doesn't come from the background I come from. BJ deals with a different set of struggles than I do. But Jesus loves BJ. Fear would have said, Hey man, you got nothing in common with that guy. Don't even approach his car. But faith said, He, loved, he needs Jesus too. You see, are we afraid? Do we operate by fear? Fear of rejection, I think that's the one that gets Americans the most. Did you know there are countries in this world that if they caught you giving the gospel, they would kill you? Here in America, we have every freedom to do it without fear of death. But we still hesitate. Sometimes we won't do things because of fear of failure. I can't teach a class because I'd fail. I can't, uh, I can't commit to something because I... I'd fail. And my friend, that is no way to operate. Our faith should not be in ourselves. Our faith should not be in our fellow man. Our faith should not be in our money. Our faith should not be in our circumstances. Our faith should be in God and God alone. Psalm 119 verse 8 says, It is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. God ran David through a very difficult test. And to this point, David has failed his test. He has conspired. He has compromised. And he's acted like a coward because he was walking by sight. He has walked in fear. He has neglected the mighty hand and providence of God. But my friend, the story of David's life is not over. God was showing David his weakness and God was refining him. God would take David into a cave and teach him in this dark, desolate, lonely place how to walk by faith. My friend, you may be like David walking by fear, but you too can make the change and you can walk by faith. We've seen life's drama. We've seen fear's disaster. Number three, notice faith's decision. Faith's decision. Uh, maybe you can relate with David. Maybe you're willing to admit that you as well operate by fear and not by faith. Maybe you can see the disaster that has come through walking blindly by your frail, limited sight. You say, Pastor, what do I do next? My friend, you must decide to intensify your walk with God. It begins by walking with God more intensely. One, only by walking with God are you ever going to be able to walk by faith. If you do not walk with God, you cannot trust Him because you not, do not personally know Him. Letter A, our mistakes should intensify our walk. Our mistakes should intensify our walk. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 22 and look at verse number 1. 
Notice there, David escapes uh, Gath. He escapes the, escapes the, uh, the palace of, of Achish, uh, where he feigned himself mad. Immediately, look at 22.1, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. David had failed God's test, so now what? It's time to regroup. So what does God do? God took him to a cave in the wilderness. And in this cave, David would write the 34th Psalm and the 56th Psalm. Why? God is teaching him. God is teaching him. He took the time to reflect on his missteps. And is now ready to right the ship. At one point when he was a shepherd in the, in the, in the, in the uh, wilderness, he had an intense walk with God. But now he's gotten away from it. Now in the lonely cave, he can now hit the reset button. Look at Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4. David now is learning to set fear to the side, get back to walking with God and walking by faith. Look at verse 3. What time I am afraid, read it with me, I will trust in thee. In God, next phrase, I will praise His Word. In God I have, read it with me, put my trust. Read the rest of it with me. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Hey, the fear of man, gone. The fear of failure, gone. The fear of death, gone. Why? David says, I learned from my mistakes. David said, hey, I walked by fear and I lied to the priest and I ate bread I shouldn't and I went to a location I shouldn't have been in and ended up almost dying because of it. He said, hey, I walked by fear and as a result, the priest was killed and all their families were killed because of my poor decision making. He said, I've walked by fear and I've hurt myself and I've hurt others. He said, in my mistakes, I'm going to learn to intensify my walk with God. Too many of us walk around and we're throwing ourselves a pity party. As I've preached this morning, you've heard what I've said and you thought, yep, that's me. I walk by fear. Woe is me. I'm not very good. And I'm, I'm just frail and I don't have faith. And poor is me. Poor is me. Poor is me. And i got to say, quit throwing yourself a pity party and learn from your mistakes and turn to God and put your eyes on Him and start walking with God every day. And what you'll see is that your mistakes will propel you to a deeper, more intense walk with God. It's time to let go of the pity party. It's time to quit focusing on our failures. You can't fix what happened yesterday. But you sure can't help what happens tomorrow. You schemed. You conspired. You compromised uh, your own decision. And, and, and you cowered before man and, and you've made all the mistakes and you say, Pastor, I've made a mess of things. What do I do? Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Wake up and walk with God. Our mistakes should intensify our walk. Let her be. Our misery should intensify our walk. Look at verse 7 of Psalm 56. Psalm 56, verse 7. Shall they escape by iniquity? And that anger cast down thy people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Read the next phrase with me. Here, read it with me. Here we go. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. 
Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall my, my enemies turn back. Read, this I know, for God is for me. Verse 10, in God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. Verse 11, read it. Here we go. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Here David is sitting in this cave. And fear has made him miserable. His fear had choked out those sweet times he spent in the presence of God. And has caused him great misery. Sit there with David in the cave. Watch as his family in a ragtag army of societal rejects make their way to him in an attempt to comfort him. See the misery written on David's face and felt all the way down in his bones. See the tears that run down his cheeks like a river. In the cave, David says, I know what I need to do. In my misery, I need to trust in thee. I need to praise your word. I need to put my trust in God. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. Are you miserable this morning? Let your misery be the catalyst that drives you to a more intense walk with God. Because when you walk with God, you learn to trust Him. Our misery, our mistakes, let her see, notice God's mercy. God's mercy should intensify our walk. Look at Psalm 56. The Bible says, Be merciful unto me. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighteth day, he fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. He would send his family, God would send his family to comfort David. First Samuel twenty two one tells us that his family came to encourage him. In first Samuel twenty two two, he would send an army of men to be his defense against Saul. These men would become his mighty men of great valor and his special forces once he would become king. In first Samuel twenty two five, God would send the prophet Gad to lead him and guide him spiritually. And in first Samuel twenty two twenty, God would send Abiathar a priest to encourage the heart of God. When David renewed his walk with God, he learned to trust the hand and the heart of God. When David decided to walk by faith, then God, uh, then God gave David everything he needed to defend himself against his enemies. Here's the reality. I'm almost done. I'm wrapping it up. I'm bringing the plane in for a landing. All right? You've got to be careful when a Baptist pastor says he's bringing it to a close. Right? In one of the epistles, Paul said finally, and then there was a whole chapter to follow. So, you know, Paul had to have been a Baptist. You know that, just from that one thing, all right? But I'm bringing, in, I'm bringing the plane in for landing. Listen to me this evening. When David was content to do it his way, God backed off and said, go make a mess of things. When David got, landed in the cave and he wept and he said to God, it's time I fall back in love with your word in prayer. It's time I go back to trusting you. Lord, you guide me. You lead me. God sent his family to comfort him. God sent an army to help him. God sent a preacher or a prophet to tell him tactically where to go. And he sent a priest to help him communicate with God. Only when David laid down his fear 
and embraced faith, did God lead him out and give him victory over Saul. It's time that you take life's dramas and quit acting by fear and walk with God and learn to live inside his faith. What does faith do? It sees the future is present. It sees the invisible is seen. Fear operates by sight. Instead, we should walk by faith. Look down at verse 13 of Psalm 56. I finished the sermon with the last verse of Psalm 56. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not, wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling? Look here, read it with me. That I may walk before God in the light of the living. David's final request to God was this. Can you keep me upright spiritually so that I can walk with you even more intensely? Hey Christian, Christian, hey Christian. What progress have you made in your walk with God? Are you still where you were five years ago? Ten years ago? Do you still sporadically read your Bible when you hear a guilt trip sermon like this one? Or are you daily in the Word? Daily in prayer? Daily studying? Daily growing? Falling in love with God more and more week after week, month after month, year after year? You see... As I intimately know God, I know His heart, and I then trust His heart and His hand. Are you walking by faith, or are you walking by sight? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. You say, Pastor, you don't know the drama that's in my life right now. I, I may not. But I can promise you this, everyone in this room has dramas. Everybody. Everybody in here is carrying a heavy burden. Everybody. Are you walking by fear or by faith? David operated by fear, by his own sight. And boy, he made a mess out of things. And then God put him in a cave, in a lonely place. And David cho chose to get it right. Some of you need to have your cave of Adola moment right here, right now. God has made you miserable so that you would turn and operate by faith. Don't be stubborn. Don't be stubborn. Why don't you lay down your hands and quit fighting and learn to walk with God and trust God? I have a couple of questions I want to ask you this morning, and I need you to be honest with yourself, honest with the Lord. Whether or not you choose to participate with raising your physical hand, I'm okay if you choose to only raise your hand in your heart. But I want you to go through the process of answering these questions either in your heart or with an uplifted hand. How many of you here would be honest enough to say, I do not consistently walk with God, and I know I need to get that right? Here's my hand, Pastor. Pray for me. I know I do not consistently read my Bible and pray. And I need to get that right. Hold your hand up if, you, if you're okay with that. I'm the only one looking. Now put your hand down. Now how many of you would say, Pastor, I have a hard time walking by faith and not by fear? 
I will operate by fear far too much. I care too much what other people think. I care too much about failure. I care too much about rejection. Pastor, pray for me that I'll learn to walk by faith and not by sight. Here's my hand. Would you raise your hand? I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Sometimes tears need to run down our cheeks a little bit. God makes us hurt inside. He lets our own choices come down on our own head because he's trying to get us turned around. David would get it figured out and David would live a victorious life because of it. It's time for you to make that same change. Lord, I pray this morning you would work in our hearts. This morning we would choose to walk with you. Lord, we have time for everything else, but somehow we run out of time to walk with you like we should. We have time to clean our house. We have time to work. We have time to take care of our car. We have time for social media. We have time for so much, Lord, but we lack the time to read our Bible and pray because we don't prioritize properly. And as a result, our faith is weak. Oh, Lord, help us to set aside the flesh and choose faith. Help us not to operate by fear, but by faith. Lord, if there's one here this morning that's not yet put their faith in you alone to save them, may they make that choice today. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed, church.